today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to Him. Though your sins be as scarlet, He will make them white as snow. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Song of Songs. In the Bible, it says that Jesus is jealous for you to be His and His only. Today, Pastor J.D. will talk about how you are the apple of God's eye. He also explains two different marriage customs in the Bible. Jesus' goodness erases all your dirt and baggage, all the sin, making you clean, clothed in white. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Song of Songs, chapter 4, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. The one thing about gardens, and I think that it's the chief reason that we have this picture here of a garden. Gardens grow back. Gardens can be trampled on, violated if you prefer. But God can restore that garden to its original beauty and its original purity. Think about the Garden of Eden. And the thing about gardens, and I, we, we can appreciate this here in Hawaii, you know, actually of all the senses, touch, hearing, taste, smell. Smell is the most powerful because it goes right to a particular part of the brain that triggers memories. That's why it is that you can smell a certain fragrance, and I mean it instantly takes you back. That's because of the part of the brain that the sense of smell activates. Now, here's why I mention that. You have a garden with the winds blowing, the trade winds, and it's blowing all of those fragrances, the plumerias, the ginger, the tuberose. I love tuberose, by the way. On our honeymoon, we were, of course, on the mainland. This is many years ago. My mother-in-law got us tuberose for our honeymoon. And I got—I had never smelled tuberose before. And it, the fragrance of those tuberose just filled up our hotel room. And to this day, whenever I get a tuberose lay, it takes me back. Just the smell, the fragrance of that tuberose. This is what he's saying here. Your garden, oh my love, is so fragrant, so captivating, so, dare I say, intoxicating. And then verse 16, the last verse, is the only time in this chapter that she speaks, and this is her response. She says, Awake, 
O north wind, and come, O south. Blow upon my garden, that its spices may flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden, and eat its pleasant fruits. So you have the garden of virginity and purity saved for closed until that time for that one, and then come. My garden, the spices flow out, and this is where they become one, because now her garden becomes his. The two become one. And this again has application to, and I don't want to get too far into this, because of the time. That's my story and I'm sticking with it. (laughs) But wives, you need look no further than to what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church about your body belonging to him. Your garden is not your garden anymore. Goes both ways too, guys. Your body belongs to her now. So some of you wives are looking at your husbands like my wife looks at me and goes, that's my body, take better care of it. That's another topic for another time. (laughs) But now her body belongs to him. His body belongs to her. They are no longer two. The two have become one flesh. It's a union, a common union, communion. The Apostle Paul, speaking of the Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthian church in his second epistle, chapter 11, verse 2, said this, listen, I am jealous for you, with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to Him. Though your sins be as scarlet, He will make them white as snow. We are clothed in Christ's righteousness, and the way He sees us now is as a pure virgin bride. Now I wanted to refer to 2 Corinthians 11 too, because what Paul says here is what is throughout Scripture replete in Scripture talking about how that we are the bride of Christ. And I don't know if it's possible to overstate the importance of this, the implications of this, by virtue of the typology in this, but this is huge. And I know for guys, it's kind of like, you know, really, we're the bride? You know, for the women, this is wonderful. Oh, we're the bride of Christ. 
For guys, it's kind of like, oh, no, we're the bride. I know that's kind of a, a hard thing to really understand, but when you understand it from the perspective of the marriage relationship, understand that our relationships, the family relationship, the marriage relationship is a microcosm of what heaven's going to be like. Our heavenly Father. Well, there's no marriage in heaven. Yes, there is. It's our marriage to the Lamb. We're His bride by His side. We're the bride of Christ. And we're children of God. We are sons and daughters of God. Here's a way to think about it. I hope this doesn't jam your gears or crash your hard drive. But we're siblings in Christ. Siblings in Christ. It's a microcosm, the, which by the way is the reason why it is that Satan seeks to destroy the family because of what the family represents. And he particularly hates the Christian marriage because of what the Christian marriage represents. It's a microcosm of our marriage to Jesus Christ as our bridegroom. So I want to talk, if you don't mind, I want to kind of turn this corner and talk about the implications of what it really means to be the bride of Christ. Because see, if we're the bride of Christ, that changes the whole complexion of everything we see in Scripture, particularly those words uttered from the mouth of the Savior Himself. It's a game changer in the sense that when you understand that Jesus, when He was talking to the disciples, was talking as a bridegroom to His bride. When He came the first time, that was the betrothal, the engagement. The marriage is coming. Well, when's the wedding? No man knows the day or the hour. Kind of makes it really difficult with wedding invitations. When's the wedding? Don't know. Day? Don't know. Hour? Don't know. Just be ready. <laughs> okay. To me, one of the most convincing and even compelling proofs of a pre-tribulation rapture is that of the ancient Jewish wedding customs, which, I mean, again, paints this magnificent picture of a pre-tribulation rapture. We're going to also be looking at typology as it relates to Joseph being a type of Christ, and Joseph taking a Gentile bride before the seven-year famine, being a type of the pre-tribulation rapture before the seven-year tribulation. Now, for those of you who have been with us for many of our studies in Scripture, we've talked often about this typology in particular, about the typology in the ancient Jewish wedding customs, particularly in the Galilee region at the time of Christ. In our study of this and about this, 
we answered the often asked question of whether or not Jesus ever taught a pre-tribulation rapture. And certainly that's been a argument on the part of those who do not believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Here's the truth. Not only did Jesus teach this, the Gospels are replete with Jesus speaking about this. And again, in order to understand this, you have to see it and view it through the lens of a bridegroom speaking to his bride. That's what I want us to look at now. What follows is an abbreviated list of all the ways that the Jewish wedding pictures our wedding to Jesus as our bridegroom. First, with the Jewish wedding, it's a marriage covenant, Ketubah, and it's made in writing for the bride as a promise to the bride that it will be fulfilled. With our wedding, it is the new covenant, and it's in the written Word of God, and it's for us as the bride, and the old covenant promise is fulfilled in the new covenant. That's why marriage is a marriage covenant. It's a covenant. In the Jewish wedding, they would then break bread and drink from the cup to seal the betrothal, kiddushin, of this new covenant. It was kind of like this. So the groom would then give to his bride-to-be the cup, and if she accepted the cup and would drink from the cup, it was as if she was saying, yes, I will marry you, because the groom is saying, will you marry me? She drinks from the cup. It's her choice. She can say no and reject him, but if she accepts him, then she drinks from the cup. And that's her way of saying, I do. This is the engagement. This is the the marriage proposal, if you prefer. You know, I proposed to my, I was so romantic back in the day. Of course, I was so much younger, had so much more energy, but I proposed to my wife in a helicopter. Yeah? Oh, isn't that sweet? Yeah, I had the ring hidden. She kind of knew something was up. Had a friend that was a pilot. I said, hey, I want to, I want to propose to Kelly, ask her to marry me. He's like, okay, let's set it up. So it was at night over the city. This is on the mainland. And at the time I worked uh, for Mercedes-Benz and I had a 450SL red convertible Mercedes, and it was in the summer, and the top was down. Give me a moment. (laughs) I'm traveling down memory lane here. I'm actually going somewhere with this, believe it or not. There's actually a profound point here. But so we go to the airport. My friend says, okay, let's let's go. We're going to, it was a refueling, you know, of the helicopter. So he gave me the cue as to when was the perfect time to, you know, propose. And so we had on these, you know, earphones, you know, and the, because it's really loud in there, in that helicopter, right? And so we had the earphones with the, the microphones so we could, you know, talk to each other and hear each other. So he gave me the cue, and I, and I, I said, will you marry me over, <laughs> you know? And then all I heard on the other end was just, 
I just thought, oh, how, how sweet. Oh, she's, she's crying. Oh. And she said, yes. Come to find out. I did not know this. We've been courting for two years. Well, at the time it was probably about a year into our courtship when I proposed to her. And come to find out she is terrified of heights. And she said, I would have said anything to you just to get down out of the helicopter, because <laughs> here's this plexiglass door, the only thing that separates us from imminent death. That's why I was crying. Nah, she was deeply moved. This is the proposal. Will you marry me? Yes, I will marry you. With our wedding, he breaks bread and drinks from the cup, and it was at the Last Supper, as we're going to celebrate tonight, and it would seal His new covenant in His blood. In the Jewish wedding, the groom pays the price, mohar, showing the bride His love for her. Just as with our wedding, Jesus paid the price in full on the cross, and this shows us the bride how that there's no greater love than His laying down of His life for us. In the Jewish wedding, the groom prepares a place for his bride and builds a room addition on his father's house. It's a bridal chamber. So when Jesus in John 14 verses 1 through 3 says to them, I go to prepare a place to you, for you, in my Father's house are many mansions, and where I go, <laughs> I come again, and there you will be also. If it were not true, I would not have told you. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm going to go prepare now our bridal chamber, that place where we can celebrate in my Father's house. That's what they would do in the Galilean wedding. Now in the Jewish wedding, the Father is the only one who knows the exact day or hour of the groom's return for his bride. And so too with us. Jesus said that no one but the Father knows the day or the hour of his return for us as his bride. This is where it gets really interesting. The Jewish wedding, the bridegroom comes as a thief in the night. The groomsmen run ahead and shout, He's coming, and they blow the trumpet, the shofar. When our bridegroom comes, it will be with a shout of the trumpet, the trumpet of God. Know the distinction. We devoted a whole prophecy update to proof of a pre-tribulation rapture. This was just one of seven. There are more. And there was a distinction. You have to delineate in Scripture between the trumpets of angels and the trumpets of God, the trumpet of God. These are two different trumpets for two different purposes. The trumpet of angels is for Israel. The trumpet of God is for the church. And that's where a lot of people get messed up and in trouble in their interpretation of Scripture, which is why oftentimes they uh, don't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, because they cannot make that distinction between the trumpets, just the trumpets. This is the trumpet of God. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 17, we who are alive and remain will be caught up when the trumpet of God 
sounds. That's the rapture. Now here's, this is really interesting. I only learned this recently within the last couple, three years. When the groom comes to snatch away his bride as a thief in the night, an hour that no man knows, the bride is lifted up in the air from the earth and carried away to her groom. I mean, it's rapture. It's rapture. Our groom, when he raptures us, takes us up in the air and to his father's house. In the Jewish wedding, the groom takes his bride to the chamber. They consummate Nisuin and celebrate for a period of seven Shavua years, seven. With our wedding, Jesus will take us to His bridal chamber where we will consummate and celebrate for a period of seven Shavua years. Seven. Did I say seven? Yeah, not three and a half. Seven years. And (laughs) that's what chapter four was about. They're in the bridal chamber, you know. Where are the wedding guests? They're outside, thankfully. Can you imagine? The bride and groom are celebrating and consummating for a period of seven. Now after, after, keyword after, you know what after means, right? I know this is deeply profound. It means after the seven. They have a huge wedding feast. This is the wedding feast of the Lamb, after, not in the middle, not before, but it has to be after the seven is completed. And we too, after the seven year celebration, have the wedding supper of the Lamb. In the Jewish wedding, the new home of the bride was Jerusalem, and it was the bridegroom who came to the bride to dwell with her. This is the New Jerusalem, and it's from the New Jerusalem that Jesus, our bridegroom, will dwell with us forever and ever. You've been listening to another edition of In Spirit and Truth. Thanks for tuning in as we study the Word of God together. As we continue to learn from Song of Songs with Pastor J.D., we pray that you are overwhelmed by the love God has for you. His love is deep, and His love is never-ending. Some tend to shy away from this book, but the picture of love in it should not be avoided. God is love. If you're not part of a local loving church that you can call home, we encourage you to find and begin regularly attending one in your area. And if you're in or near the Kaneohe area, come visit us. You'll find all the information you need, including service times and directions to Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. 
While you're there, you can also find more of Pastor J.D.'s teachings like you heard today. Check out his weekly prophecy updates and the ABCs of salvation, too. This is a simple guide to sharing the good news of salvation in Jesus. As we continue to learn from the book of Song of Songs together, we'd be honored to pray for you during this study. Would you let us know how we can be doing that for you? Just fill out the contact form that you'll find under the About tab at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Or come find us on social media. There's a link to our Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube pages on our website. And we encourage you to follow them so you can stay up to date with all that's happening at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe and in spirit and truth. Thanks for joining us for this in-depth, verse-by-verse study of Song of Songs on In Spirit and Truth.